ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Even Jones. I'm at the abode. Um, I don't really have a cool background for you yet now that I am at the abode. And the reason I do not have a cool background yet is there's this interesting thing uh, with this unit. I don't think that this is only to this unit. Um, moved in this bad boy and ain't no lights. Uh, yeah, man. So, like, I got lights in the hall. I got lights in the kitchen. Ain't no lights in the rooms. Like, you got to bring your own lights. So, like, luckily I had a lamp that came off the truck, and that's over there in the corner fin here. The other thing, I had something very unfortunate happen to me, which is uh, I got a television in here, and the television came, and the television stand came, but the television was last mounted on the wall, and I ain't really had no time to be thinking about no wall mount, plus the TV is uh, just a little bit damaged. Anyway, um. Uh, Got the wrong screws for the TV stand. So I had the joy today of going to a hardware store right before it closed. And I was made very aware that it was about to close by the gentleman who owned the place who turned off the lights but forgot to lock the door. Oh, well. Anyway, ain't nothing like trying to eyeball it on screws, right? It's not like you can just, I mean, I guess in theory, it could have taken the TV stand there. But it's not like I could just like take a TV. Like my brother was here helping me out with it. What are we going to do? You get one end, I get the other end, and we walk three blocks in order to uh, get this screw right. So I ain't got the screw. Got TV in the bedroom, so I guess I'm going to make that work. But this no light thing, man, is a trip. Um, you you got to bring your own. Hmm. And guess who had really had time for that? And, by the way, on top of not really having time, like I feel like lamps and the likes are the kind of things that you like to go check out with your own hand. And as I told many of you, I sold my automobile. So, like, once you sell the automobile, just going and getting this stuff really isn't that easy. Like, oh, yeah, let me just run and pick this thing up right fast. Like, you can do that with some, but a uh, lamp, not so much. Not really the heat. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, um, that has happened. I noticed something today. I'd always wondered. Like, and some of you, you know, some of you guys from the East Coast, this ain't no thing to you, but I ain't from around here, right? It's oh, I had always been like, yo, um, you know, who just sits around and comes up with McDowell's? Are y'all familiar with Kennedy Fried Chicken? It is the most mcdowell thing I have ever seen in my life. It is Kennedy Fried Chicken. They have not shortened the KFC, but it may as well be KFC because it is straight up and down Kentucky Fried Chicken, at least on the outside. I have never bothered to go in because, like, if you created a fake Popeyes, I might be inclined to go see what's cracking with you. But the uh, fake uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken is not enough for me to get in the door, but it is certainly enough for me to notice. Like, y'all are for real, like, bootlegged on this okay like this is this is rather janky no other way to look at it this is uh rather janky but anyway i'm here i'm in new york um i'm not so inclined these days to get too much information about my coordinates but i can't tell you i went ahead and decided that i wanted to live in harlem and so i am in harlem now i mentioned harlem because i've noticed something very interesting about Harlem, which is I told people I was moving to Harlem and all they want to tell me is how Harlem ain't Harlem no more. 
And, you know, I didn't I've like I've spent a lot of time here in previous years, but I'm not in a position to give you so much discussion about how Harlem Harlem remains. But I told people one thing I was looking forward to about like living in Harlem was to look forward to living around black people again. Right. Like I ain't lived around black people in four years. Miami, where I was, I kind of priced myself out of my people. So I was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to living around black people. People like I don't know what you're talking about. Look here. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, there are certainly maybe sections of Harlem that are more Caucasian than they used to be. And there certainly are places where you go and it is somewhat surprising to see white people if you have any like concept of what this is. But I have come to the conclusion that it really doesn't take much to make people think that the neighborhood is just going to pot. Cause like I would tell people exactly what intersection I was at. And they're like, nah, ain't no black people over there. And I'm like, well, you need to bring your ass over here and explain to me who these people are. Cause, uh, that's all I see, bro. Like, yeah, there'd be, there'd be some white folks walking around. Right. But, uh, you don't, you don't so much see them in a drugstore. No, 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 no. I went up there to the whole foods the other day. Cause I'm not sure if you heard they built a whole foods at 125th and Lenox. I went up to that Whole Foods one day, and don't get me wrong, the white folks was there, but there was definitely black people who had heard rumors about the place, and they was up in the spot. And I would like to say uh, about that Whole Foods, I'm going to give you guys away just an idea. If you want to go ahead and run with it, I ain't really going to trip. If you make some money, I think you have to owe me some bread or at least a, a citation of some sort. Um, but I would love to take people in who were unaware of what this whole Whole Foods thing is about. Because, I mean, Whole Foods, like, if you ain't lived around Whole Foods, you don't know people who go to Whole Foods. You hear people talk about it. But you don't necessarily know what Whole Foods is hitting on. And I just want to see them walk around and look at prices. All right? Like, if Whole Foods is completely separate from the world that you lived in, I would love to see people walk around and just go check out what those prices are. And I'm sure that, it, you know, for all the organic or whatever it is, it can be perfectly defensible having those prices. I would also like to know, like, what the hot bar is hitting for at the Whole Foods in Harlem. Maybe I will find a day to go check it out. But, uh, like, is it going to be kind of like the Magic Johnson Starbucks? Where you can get, like, a sweet potato pie, which I assure you, you cannot get at the other Starbucks. Like, there going to be some things on the, on the hot bar that you generally do not find at Whole Foods because I don't think it would make very much sense to not have things on there that you could not find. Like, I feel like you got to play to your neighborhood. Like, don't be like Uber. Like, I feel like Uber sends a suggestion to their drivers about like what kind of music they should be playing in the car. And I just can't figure out how it is. These cats picking me up in Harlem be playing so much light rock. Like all of it. And I don't like, and granted I'm, you know, leave it open to the possibility that people have like diverse musical tastes, but these cats that be pushing around, like playing this stuff. I don't get the feeling that um, that's their choice. You know, and even if it ain't light rock, like I was in the car today, man, this dude had Neil Young and Crazy Horse playing on the radio, and I got no Neil Neil Young and Crazy Horse vibe off of him. It did not appear to be his jam. Like, it felt like Uber sent around, like, a best practices email, and they're like, yo, uh, white folks love light rock. Never mind if there are no white people in the car. Like, I've always enjoyed, generally speaking, the game of seeing what the Uber driver does with the radio. Like, I remember once I got in an Uber driver with a woman, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't know who that lady was that was driving. She started, she put on that Sade. And, like, Sade might be her jam, but I was not expecting Sade at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't think I've ever voluntarily listened to Sade in the daylight. Like, we wasn't getting it cracking right then. 
pretty sure we did later. But like, not then. But anyway, yeah, man, I, I'm with it. I'm enjoying this New York thing. It continues to be enjoyable, even though I'm doing like all the traveling in the world. Um, but it does appear to be pretty dope. Keep posts on that. Um, also, we are doing this podcast tonight um, before episode three of Insecure. So I'm sure someone will ask some questions about the Black Civil War. All those answers will be done in the context of the first two episodes. Um, yeah, I had to do this tonight because I really don't know the next time I'm going to have a chance to do uh, one of these here episodes, podcasts, whatever it is. I want to try to get you one in while I could. So here we are. This is being recorded on Sunday night. It is 8.15 Eastern as I speak. And now we will move on to your questions. Ooh, hold on. Man, I, this new interface is made it such that I ain't really had a chance to go through and like look at all these questions. It ain't set up. Um, the same way. All right, here we go. Between no Confederate and everybody holding their breath over the hack, how bad a job is working at HBO PR right now? I actually just had a conversation with somebody today uh, about the hack. And yes, I imagine there is a certain level of stress that is going down over this hack. But I suppose that we should start with the no Confederate thing, which means starting with Confederate. And if you have not seen this situation with Confederate, it is this show that has been dreamed up. I think it's what the creators of Game of Thrones. They got a couple black people um, who are going to have some very significant role in this. And it is a show that imagines what if uh, the Confederacy had won and slavery was not abolished in the United States. Um, a lot of people have deemed and declared this to be some kind of weirdo white people fantasy fiction where they imagined this world that they would have loved to have had where there is no slavery. Um, so I am totally fascinated by everything that's going on. What with the fact that this, one with the fact that this idea like ever came about in the first place and second with the immediate and understandable uh, backlash against the show. But let's stop and appreciate something right fast on how this played out. Because when you start talking about like what it's like to be an HBO PR, um, somebody in HBO PR needs to be fired. Why does somebody in HBO PR need to be fired? They told the world about this Confederate show. There isn't a script. Like, as far as I can tell, as of right now, all there is is the idea and notion that they are going to do this show. Um, I read the Coates piece about it, which I thought was very good, and I think articulated a lot of things very well, most notably that the idea that the Confederacy didn't lose is kind of all over the place. If you, you, know, you have to pay very close attention. It is all over the place. But we don't have a script yet for this. So let's back up what's going on here. Because we start talking about like the idea of a boycott of this, I think it's very interesting, right? Because it is a boycott entirely based on a presumption. And that presumption is white folks cannot be trusted with an idea like this, right? The presumption is that white folks cannot be trusted to develop this idea and the white folks cannot be trusted to consume this idea without it turning into some weird fetish for white people or how they wish the world was, 
Like, is that fair to say? Because I feel like that's what, like, that's the way this is played out. Like, that's the basis of the boycott. And it has to be the basis of the boycott because we don't actually have a script. Right? Like, as of right now, people are talking about boycotting something that they don't know anything about. Now, that is not to say that, that I understand why people want to boycott this thing that they know nothing about. But I do think that we need to stop and remember, we don't know anything about this. We don't know what it is. So let's start with this question. Is there any possibility of the production of compelling content around the idea that slavery never was abolished. I would say that there is potential to do so. Now, could I tell you exactly how to do so? No, I don't think I can do that, right? But let's say, let's say, for example, that the ultimate point that they want to demonstrate with this is the fact that the world as it is right now is very similar to the world that would be imagined without the abolition of slavery. Do I think there is a value in that point? Yes. All right. Do I think that you can make something worth seeing around that point? Yes, I do. I do think that you can. I just have no idea if these people can do it. Like, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't know. Like, I've seen people make mention of the fact that rape is a, you know, a little bit of an issue with Game of Thrones. I'll have to take your word for it. I don't watch it. I will say, however, that we'd have to agree that for the makers of Game of Thrones to decide that this is what they would be doing next. Talk about a heat check. Like, talk about a real heat check. Like, I was talking to some people at brunch today, and we were talking about Tropic Thunder. You remember Robert Downey Jr. played the white guy who was in blackface. And the thing about that character is, and Ben Stiller has said this, the margin for error on that was absolute none. There was no error. Everything had to be exactly right in order to sell this idea, in order to sell this notion. Everything had to be dead on right. And they managed to pull it off like it's a pretty significant high wire act. When you think about it, significant enough that it's a comedy of that sort. And Robert Downey Jr. got nominated for an Academy Award because it had to be perfect. There was no way around it. And it was. This is something similar. I said the difference is the Tropic Thunder character was like an hour and a half, two hours. One dude. Yo, bro, you talking about a whole show. I don't know how many layers of negritude that you're going to have, what filters you're going to have to run this through to make sure that you get this absolutely right. Like, I can't believe that there was somebody at HBO that was like, you know what? Yeah. We're going to do that. We sure are. All right. Like all these scary ass people that exist, television executives. And these dudes really heard this one and were like, that's the one. That's the one. We're going to do it. Let me see a script. We don't have a script. That's no problem. I trust you. What? But who could you possibly trust enough that on like, who in the world do you trust enough that without having seen anything, you're like, you know what? Forget about saying, you know what? Let's go a few steps further on this. You said, let's tell the world. 
Yeah. Let's tell the world about it. No, 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 no. Let's only tell our closest friends and associates, and then let's figure out who's got the right black friends that we can talk to, and then maybe we discuss this. But no, 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 no. We're not telling the world that we're going to do this until we've done a lot more thinking about this, like at least enough thinking that we have a script. All right. So like I read the Coates piece and I thought that Coates made the interesting point that look, man, this isn't a world that black people really have to work that hard to imagine, you know? And so then on the other side, Keeping in mind how difficult it is to produce content that discusses race in any sort of sincere fashion that does not make white people terribly uncomfortable. So what kind of show would ultimately be made that wouldn't make white people terribly uncomfortable? Because, look, here's the problem. If you create a show where slavery still exists. Unless you're talking about like John Brown, there are there are no white heroes. Right. There are only white villains, basically, if this exists as such. Like you could try to make it a north south sort of thing if you want to, I suppose. But you're going to be really, really short on white heroes because at best you're going to have a whole lot of white people that's actually letting it slide. And at worst, you're going to have like a whole lot of slave masters. They don't make a lot of television shows that don't have like good guys who are white. That's just not how it works. So chances are you're going to wind up with something being terribly insulting right there on that basis. You see what I mean? So like given the general tendency to need to make these things palatable to white people, I don't see how you do this. I don't see how you do it at all. Right. However, we still don't have anything yet to like, actually boycott and look i'd be the one to tell you i wouldn't boycott it now all right let me ask this question and the reason i wouldn't boycott it is because i watched it at least once and then either i'd like it or i wouldn't like i don't really feel like it's a boycott if i'm not watching some shit that i wouldn't watch already you know what i mean like i'm not watching game of thrones right now it's not a boycott i just don't watch it so for me i don't think i'd necessarily have the need for this boycott just because i probably wouldn't watch this in the first place um now somebody helped me out here with like this no confederate boycott is it a full-on boycott of hbo or is it just a boycott of this show because i do think it's fair to say that like the boycott of hbo is a bit counterproductive and i think the boycott of hbo is probably a little unfair without having actually seen anything about the work product like i mean i admit i don't know what exactly to do when I don't think that the idea is totally bankrupt of potential value. I don't. So like the idea of getting on a boycott for that reason is probably not going to happen on um, my front. Right. Like, I think it's a big thing to say and go ahead and do, but like, look, were you going to watch, if you are boycotting Confederate, were you going to watch it in the first place? Like, serious question. Were you going to watch it in the first place? Because if you weren't going to watch it in the first place, you're not boycotting. You're just making noise. 
And I don't think there's necessarily something wrong with making noise. And I think there's some noise to be made just on the general idea. Um, even if the show doesn't like does come out, I think there's something to making the noise so that the people who are in this know that folks are going to be watching and you got to get this right. Like, I think there's a, va- I think there's certainly a value there, but it's a, we're, it's a boycott based on a notion. And we all have to admit that the notion is presumptuous, right? The notion does operate on assumptions of white, what white people are and are not capable of. Now, these assumptions are not unfounded, right? Like these, these notions are supported by a significant level of history. So I'm there. But I guess in like the smallest recesses of my mind, I have not discounted the possibility that there could be something artistically compelling that comes from this. Probably not something that I rock with all the way through, but it is potential for something to be compelling to come from it. It also happens to be far more likely that what emerges is something that is problematic. All right. But you're boycotting on a guess. And boycotting something you probably aren't going to watch anyway. So I don't have the answer there. Now, if you are down to boycott the whole network, I can't blame you. But, of course, you're going to wind up with what happens to everybody when they decide they're going to boycott, like, an entire entity. You'd be like, ooh, but I like dot, dot, dot. Right? Ooh, but I like Insecure. Ooh, ooh but I like Game of Thrones. Ooh, but I like, you know, like, all those things um, are going to come up. Right. And so it is fair for you to ask the question, if you believe that Insecure is a show that needs your support, whether you should boycott the whole network based on this bad idea. Right. You know, so no, I'm not at this moment. I'm not jumping on the boycott wagon. I get where those people are coming from. But at this moment, no, I'm not jumping on the boycott Confederate wagon. I also wasn't going to watch it. I also, by the way, don't think this show is ever going to see the light of day. And I don't know how much of whether or not it's going to see the light of day has to do with the backlash or not. HBO is pretty notorious for all kinds of things that are supposed to come out that don't ever actually come out. Now, all that being said, part of what I think is interesting here is um, Aaron Magruder's got a show coming up that's like a reparation show, right? Okay. Do you trust Aaron Magruder to do that? Because I don't. And I don't trust Aaron Magruder to do that because I don't feel like Aaron Magruder laughs with us. I feel like Aaron Magruder laughs at us. And as a result, I do not trust him with this reparation show. I do not. Right? I've interviewed Aaron a couple of times. Like, you know, no, I don't trust him with this. I don't. And that being said, Whoever's going to be broadcasting this, I don't think I'm going to boycott them because they got Aaron Magruder doing this show, and I don't trust them to do it. So where's the line? And I admit, I am not terribly comfortable with just saying dead on, this television show is about white people's fantasies about black people being enslaved. I'm not quite there. I don't know what their rationale is. And that's HBO's fault. Like, that's where HBO dropped the ball on this completely. I do not know what in the world they're trying to do with this Confederate show. And I feel like once you made the decision that you were going to tell the world about it, then you had to know that you had to explain very clearly what it is that you were doing. Very clearly. 
But no, I don't have any clean answers on this. I don't. I also just don't think this is a cause worth me fighting for. Like, it's just not on my list. It ain't that important to me. And I don't think the show will actually appear anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like, I feel like this is one of those decisions that was made when somebody who had a successful project is able to go way high on the chain and not have to talk to nobody else along the way. And it gets like straight to the man up top. The man on top is like, great idea. Let's tell everybody. And then somebody's like, wait, what? Like, huh? I don't don't so much understand uh, what it is that you're doing. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. My man says, why don't you watch Game of Thrones like the rest of America? It's very simple. I didn't get in on it early, and I don't have time to go back and watch however many seasons of no TV show just to catch up and watch it with y'all. It also don't seem like nothing I'm into. Right? Like, this fantasy world stuff is not really, no, I'm good. You know, you guys seem to really enjoy it, and I don't judge you for the fact that you guys really seem to enjoy it. But no, I don't really care that much. That's all. So maybe at some point I'll get around to having time to watch all that stuff. But now I really don't care that much. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How are you feeling about Insecure Season 2 so far compared to Season 1? Seems like moving on from the Lauren storyline should give them much more interest in space in which to operate. And I'm like, uh, what do you mean move on from the Lawrence storyline? Man, please. These two going to be going back and forth for season after season after season. They can't move on from the Lawrence storyline. The Lawrence storyline is going to be there until either they get back together or I don't even know. And that's actually the thing I'm wondering about is that if they don't get back together, I don't know how they resolve it. Because part of it is you can't really get rid of the Lawrence storyline because you got to Lawrence is the tie that binds like these kind of two directions in this. And you kind of bring you, you got to keep it together somehow. So to keep it together, you kind of got to keep them together in one way or another. So I don't really have any comparison about season two versus season one. What I do have is my outright fascination at how this show with such uninteresting characters generate such emotional and visceral responses from its viewers. And yes, I'll say that again. The characters on Insecure are uninteresting. Uninteresting. All right. There's nobody that is especially likable. They are kind of just there. It's kind of a Seinfeldian quality where nobody is really likable. Like the most likable people on the show are the Bloods. Think about that for a second. The Bloods are the most likable characters on the show. But what these characters are, are these avatars onto which people project all their relationship issues and their life issues onto And so it stops being about the characters and starts being entirely about the people who are watching. And I'm not sure that was done on purpose, but it is, in fact, a fascinating result. Right. Like, I mean, like he's a he's a whack as hell. He's a whole crew whack. That Lawrence dude, born and whack as hell. His old uh, paper bag homeboy. I guess he kind of funny, but everybody else just kind of whack. I ain't really got nothing good to say about anybody else that's on this show. I don't, I feel like there are a lot of things that people can relate to, certainly. 
but they just project all this stuff onto these characters. And so it plays out as this kind of social media phenomenon, which I find to be interesting because Issa Rae is clearly like fascinated with the social media space um, and like the reception of the show in said space. And there's all her almost performative blackness in some ways. And I say performative because if you, you know, you check her history with all the awkward black girl stuff and everything else. And the, you know, I wasn't black enough. They said I was lame. And by the way, the lame part is probably why they said you weren't black enough. They probably weren't saying you were lame because you were not black enough. They probably thought you were lame and then took that to mean that you weren't black enough. That's typically how that goes. The, the, the direction and the causality I think is often skewed. Um, but you know, she's always wearing like the Harriet Tubman sweatsh- sweatshirts and shit. Like they, they, she played that one scissor track on episode two and it's just saying like nigga over and over and over again. And I'm like, yo, this is a bit much like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. This is black. Gotcha. Right. Like it didn't, it didn't really provide anything. It was very distracting ultimately, like once it had been done. So like there's there's all those different things that are at play here. But if there's anything that I have learned in this or that I really get as to why this people can relate to this so much, it's pretty simple. For reasons that I don't fully understand. It seems that just about all the ladies out here who are doing something with themselves and doing something with their lives have had some stretch that involved having some dude who didn't really have nothing going on at the time sleeping on their couch and eating their food. Like ladies who are here in the chat room, perhaps you are listening on the podcast. Feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. That's not to say that every single one of you has done this, but that seems to be a line of thinking that you all can ride out with and for whatever reason like it's a little bit late in the game to be doing this but for whatever reason especially ladies in your early to mid 20s um you have an affection for do nothing dudes that does not make a great deal of sense it especially did not make sense to me as someone who was doing something at that age right and that's not to say i was hating because I wasn't hating, but I was a little bit confused. And don't blame me for being confused, because if you've had that stretch in your life, you are looking back on that, and you are confused by you too. Am I right? Am I right? Come on now. Come on now. Like, I find myself in conversations with different women about this at different points, and I've mentioned this, and everybody winds up with the, yeah, you're right. I don't know how it happens. I'm not there. I've never been the dude in that place. I've never been a woman, obviously. So I don't understand how it is that you get there. But it makes Issa Rae a very, very sympathetic character to a lot of people because they have had the dude laying up on their couch and trying to build him up and everything else. All right? Maybe he was rapping. You know what I'm saying? Or some other variety of writer or whatever it is. But you had that dude laid up in your house, not doing nothing. Right. Now, 
what I feel like we are seeing also with this so-called Laurentide. And by the way, I am convinced that the Laurentide started off just trolling and then it turned into a thing because everybody is so emotionally caught up in these characters that are actually themselves, not the characters on the screen, but the own lives that they live. Like this whole Team Lawrence thing ain't nothing to ride away with Lawrence. One thing I ain't, one thing I ain't about to say is I am not team dude without no job. I'm not on that squad. I'm not with that. No, sir. Right? And so I feel like there's, there's that part of Team Lawrence, and there is, like, the Team Lawrence that is, I got cheated on, and then I bounced back with this other one. Right? I guess there is something to be said for relating to that one. Okay. Perhaps. And then we got Team Tasha out here and the, the the whole Tasha sympathy movement that I see going on in think pieces. And I find that one to be just a little bit comical because I'm looking at that like, oh, hold on now, ma'am, ma'am. You press up on that dude when he had a girlfriend, which is understandable. You find out he had a girlfriend, whatever. Okay, cool. Then you found out he did not have a girlfriend. No more. Okay. Then y'all wind up getting friggity sniggity in a rather graphic way on the television. Okay. Um, like, well, how, how do you think this goes next? Like, what exactly is it that you are looking for? Um, because, because in theory, you could make the argument that she was kind of taking advantage of a vulnerable man, except you don't tend to think about men's vulnerability in that way. Instead, a grown woman m- making the play that she wanted to make is looked at as the person who is being used, even though she up on the dude that she know coming out some heartbreak. Right? And so then there's Team Tasha, which is people who have made that mistake before. Right. So basically, I feel like Insecure is the time for everybody to get together and purge their regrets. Right. That seems fair. Now, do you feel like when you're watching this, you're doing a whole lot of purging of regrets? Because I feel like a lot of people are watching it and they are purging their regrets, things that they wish they had not done. I'd also, by the way, like to know in the casting of Tasha, right? So they created in so many ways that huzzy, right? That huzzy. All that body. Okay, I don't want to say that part because people will say I'm being cruel, but I think you understand where I'm going with this, right? Like Tasha is absolutely cast to be in a position where somebody like Issa can look at her and be like, and she ain't even that cute. Now you think that's just purely by coincidence? Like everything that's done on these shows like that tends to be pretty meticulous. You think that's purely by coincidence? Right. Right. Like they made her in such a way where she can be like totally hateable to some and like totally hell yeah to a bunch of dudes. And then there will be another segment of women that totally see themselves. Like I saw a think piece that said, I see Tasha is the most compelling character on this show. I'm like, who on this show is compelling? 
Nobody on this show is compelling. Nobody on this show is interesting. They just say funny stuff from time to time. And like, now nah, I'm in it. So I just want to see the way it goes, right? I'm kind of in a boardwalk empire kind of state. Right? I don't even know if I like this that much. But now I'm here. And like, I'm part of this conversation that surrounds it. So I'm going to just keep rocking with it in uh, that regard. But yeah, so there you go. With insecure. People talking about Molly. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe is Molly likable? I don't I don't find Mike Molly to uh be so likable. I also enjoy how people keep pointing out that like East Ray living in the apartment complex with all them bloods, but they be trying to look up the gear she wears on the show and the sweater costs like two hundred dollars. That's a cognitive dissonance. Um that uh goes along with that one right there. So anyway, those are my rambling thoughts on Insecure in advance of episode three. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Going to be at NABJ this week. And I was wondering, do you consider yourself to be approachable? Um... I would have to say that, yes, I consider myself to be approachable. And the reason I'd have to say that I consider myself to be approachable is so many people approach me. Now, this is what I'll tell you about approaching me at NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists, uh, NABJ. If you're unfamiliar, the convention is coming up this week. I'll be there. And, you know, a few of you might wind up going here. But I will tell you this, even if you are not a member of this organization, just as something to keep up as a general rule here, right? You just need to notice if you see me. I don't want your business card. Do not give me your business card. I will never look at your business card. Right? And I'm telling you this just because there is nothing I can really do for your career. Right? There's not. Like, I'm not in a position right now to, like, do the things for, you know, the I'm just trying to get on right now. I'm not really there, right? I'm not there. I don't really have, like, the time in that setting to, like, go through your portfolio and vet your work and all of that stuff. I'm probably not going to have the time later to do that. Like, I can't do that. What I can do is make a conversation with you if we happen to be in a situation to have a conversation. But what you need to understand is that, like, good conversation is what is going to be memorable to people about this like that's where you wind up making the connection there but you're not going to be able to like force the conversation on like some cold meeting with somebody like walking through the lobby like what you talking about doing when you like run up on people in the lobby if you're really trying to like make it happen for you what you're effectively doing is no different than like trying to holler at a chick in the club it's not like hey what's going on like you think you're going to impress me right fast in like two minutes and then all of a sudden, I'm going to be so charmed that everything goes from there. No, no, no. I'm just not really going to be able to help you in that way. I'm not. Now, what I would suggest that you do, like, if you really want to make impressions with people, what you need to do is you need to get in there in the panels and listen closely. And if you have a good question or a good contribution to make, get up and do that. And that's how people will remember you. I got a story myself about kind of like jumpstart my career in a very similar fashion. Um, that's how you do it. That's good. That, that's going to be your move. So you're welcome to come up and talk to me. Uh, I will have a conversation with you. Um, the second I feel like the conversation is getting kind of boring, I'm probably going to bail. But I am like willing to talk to you. But one thing you have to understand that I don't really enjoy talking about is how dope I am. 
like I am appreciative of your appreciation, but if that's what you got, we can keep that brief. And I will keep that brief, you know? But there'll be dozens of people on the weekend like that that are like coming in my face and I just can't remember all that. I can't keep all that straight. And I'm also trying to make, make moves for myself while I'm there. So I'm down to be helpful. And if you have like a question, but don't hit people with the, hey man, I was just wondering if you had any advice as to like what I could do to like, you know, just anything you can tell me about being a young writer. Dude, I got like a hundred thousand things I can tell you about being a young writer. I don't know which one of them that you need. Like, if you got questions for people in these circumstances, like make your questions specific, you know, not just the general. Hey, man, I was just wondering if you could like anybody going to give you like these magical words of wisdom that like, unlock the rest of your career. Right. Like, I'm just going to tell you like a one or two line and all of a sudden you're going to be like, man, I'm so profound. I now have the direction that I'm looking for. No, that's that's not that's not really going to work. It's not, you know. So, yeah, am I approachable? Certainly. Because um, generally, if I'm in a position to be approached, I've allowed myself to be approached. I will run away from rooms that I don't feel like being in. But make your conversation with people sincere. You know, like, like do something with it there. But I find a lot of people just come up to me and be like, yo, can I take a picture with you? Don't take no picture. With I mean, you can. Like, I guess that's cool. But you will come in there to be treated as a colleague, right? Like, don't play it like a fan. And it'd be cool. You can send a picture out to your friends and put it on your little your little Snapchat or whatever it is. And I don't make there's nothing wrong with that, right? And I'm like kind of honored in a way that you would think that I was somebody that you wanted to do that with. But that ain't gonna do nothing for you. And so I find myself very often at NABJ Walk and just people like, hey, you want to take a picture? And then they take the picture and that's all they do. Like, what the hell did you get out? What, like, what, what did you get out of that? What I think you need to be doing as much as anything else is you need to be grinding and meeting the people your age because the people your age are the ones that's going to be able to get you on because the day's going to come where those people got jobs. And if you got the lasting relationships with them, they the ones that can put you on. Like I can't do so much putting you on and a picture with me ain't really going to get you nowhere so much. Right. But then people that are your age, those people in the same place as you, y'all going to grind and go through the struggle together. And those are going to be the ones that can do something for you. So, yeah, come up. Holler at me. You know, I will probably be polite. I may mean, probably be polite. I'll always be polite, you know, but I also might tell you to keep your business card in your pocket. Because your business card ain't going to do nothing like it, that's just not going anywhere. And I don't carry business cards. Right. And I admit that that is perhaps like one of the five or six more arrogant things that I do is I don't carry business cards because at this point, I feel like you can Google me and catch up with me if you need it that bad. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. By the way, everybody asking questions about the show with Pablo, I have no idea. We're not there yet. All we know is that we're going to have a show. That's it. Hold on, my computer's going slow, so it's hard for me to get through these questions. What were your takeaways from your podcast with Brian Koppelman and you all's discussion about your use of language in the beginning? Do you think he wasn't accounting enough for the free flowing nature of black conversation? Um, I've had people who have said that if you get a chance to check it as a podcast, I did with Brian Koppelman. You can get it over on Slate. Uh, the podcast is called The Moment. I think you can get it at the iTunes store also. And um, 
Do I think that he wasn't accounting enough for the free-flowing nature of black conversation? I think that you could make that argument. Um, but I think, in fairness to him, I think the surprising part of that is not the free-flowing nature of black conversation, but the fact that I do that in front of people. You see what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of people I think that you can make the argument that kick it kind of like I do when nobody's around. I do it on TV, and I do it on TV and radio because I feel like you know what I'm talking about, and that's all that matters. And so I'm trying to go about it the most effective way that I possibly can. And so I do think that there's a certain measure of, like, not being familiar with that. And certainly perhaps that is a part um, of what it is. But what were my takeaways? I don't. I don't really think there are any takeaways for me. Like I was just sitting there answering questions. Like if you got some takeaways, that's fantastic. But I wasn't going back over it. Like, huh, let me see what I can take away from that shit. I just said, how's that work? Appreciate the question. Let me see. Do you think, the TV and radio hosts should be accountable for things that a guest says on their show. If the host doesn't check them asking because people seem to be mad at Charlemagne for laughing at some of Duval's transphobic comments and not condemning them in the moment. Um, so I think that you're conflating some things here, but to answer your question, yes, I do. I think that when you're the host and something like that happens in an interview you are conducting, the way that you handle it is part of your interview. And if you handle it in a problematic way, you should be dealt with as such. And I say this as somebody who's been in those situations and probably handled some of those things problematically. Um, When somebody drops a fart in church on live air, it is tricky. It is tricky. Part of it is that you start off in a mode with a guest where you were trying to set that guest up. You were trying to like serve that guest off. You trying to make that guest look as good as possible. So Duval says that he would kill somebody under those circumstances. And you laugh. You got to own that. Period. You got to own that. And the reason you got to own that is that isn't funny. And I don't mean that it isn't funny because, like, the idea of killing people for that is not funny. I mean, which I totally get. But the problem was it wasn't funny. Like, it wasn't, like, that's not a funny joke. Like, what's the punchline? You see what I mean? So it comes across as though you're, all you're laughing at is the idea of killing someone transgender. Yeah, you got to own that. And that's it. Now, I understand Charlemagne came and, you know, followed up on that. But, yeah, yeah, you've got to own that. Um, yeah. So, now, the, the question about whether or not to check them, how exactly are we talking about checking? Because, like, for me, I do not like to do confrontational interviews. Like, I like to have, like, conversations and stuff. But, like, me personally, I don't like inviting people on for a confrontation. Um, But I do feel like and totally get the idea that like in that circumstance, yeah, man, you got to say something. You know, like you got to be like, yo, man, that's not cool because you just can't have people on your airwave on your show talking like that. 
you got to be like, yo, man, that's not cool. Or like, why do you think that's cool? Or why do you say that? Right. At the very least, you got to give them a chance to hang themselves. But I also admit that I've been in situations where like, I'll give you an example. We had Josh Jackson of Kansas on like right before the draft. And I was trying to figure out how to handle it with his situation where he was accused of an incident of violence with a woman, though he wasn't, he wasn't accused of hitting her, but I think he like kicked her car or something like that. And he said something to the effect of you guys made it into a bigger deal than it was. And I didn't push back on that. And I probably should have pushed back on that. And so part of why I didn't push back on that is, generally like interviewing 19 20 year olds it's just like these cats ain't ready for this right and you can say that they're professionals now and they should be ready for it but in my heart of hearts i understand that these dudes ain't ready for this um and i i don't know how fair it is to like subject someone that age to the buzzsaw that i could bring to them on that i don't know right but I should have pushed back on that. If for no other reason, then he's like, you guys made into a bigger deal than it was. Like we the ones that wrote the police report. Right. And so like, I could come behind that and I can say, well, we made it a bigger deal than it was. And you tell me what the deal was, but he wasn't going to tell it. Like I know that. And I'm generally not inclined to ask people questions that I know that they're not going to answer. But if someone were to say that I let him off too easy, when he said that we made too big a deal out of this, they'd be absolutely correct. And like I said that to myself, like I asked him about it and I got some people who gave me kudos or whatever for asking them the question. But yeah, I acknowledge I didn't do enough with that. And that's just one example. I'm sure I've made these sorts of mistakes with other people um, before. And I'm sure I have. So, yeah, you got to own that. Like if you're on the show and those ideas come out there and you laugh at it. Yeah, man, we're going to treat you like you're the one that laughed at a joke about killing somebody transgender. Like what else do you expect? What 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 else is it supposed to be? You know, so that's my thought there. And also, just just to be clear, I can see how you Charlemagne and you get caught out there laughing at that. Doesn't mean you're right, but I can see how it happens. Even if that's not something you think is really quote unquote funny, I can see how that happens. Right? Like you're not expecting that, and you're like, woohoo! And I think the natural inclination on a lot of those shows in a situation like that is just to find a way to keep it moving. Now, where I would argue that it's probably different for the breakfast club is they do do confrontational interviews. Like their shit does get raucous and does get contentious. So they can't really say that this is like, no, nah, we would have, you know, we, 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 we would have said something, but we was just trying to keep it smooth. They don't really care about keeping it smooth. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you so much for joining us here on the evening. Jones, try to do this as often as I can do this. Hopefully sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to make this happen. My man, Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you do not watch the evening Jones live, check out the podcast, subscribe at the iTunes store, subscribe at Stitcher radio, check us out at SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google play store. I'll catch you when I catch you. Take it easy. <laughs>